Hello and welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, a regular magazine program about East Asian film led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of EastonKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Hey Each episode, we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news, and festivals, often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. Welcome to the latest show. This time we're taking a look at Asian films screening at London Film Festival, which is running from the 5th to the 16th of October. Later on, we have an interview with the director of the documentary Liquor Store Dreams, So Yan Am. But before we get started, let's get to the important question. What are you drinking this episode, James? <laughs> I've been up in Scotland. I've got, um, got a nice bottle of McEwan's Champion on me again, yeah. 7.3%. And Ooh. I'm not long back from the pub where I was having a few pints of uh, Tenant's Lager. Oh, lovely. So, well, <laughs> I'm not sure lovely is the word, but you could say it's, it fits being in Glasgow. So. <laughs> what do you got, man? So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, slightly uh, slightly lower than you for a change. I'm, I'm just on a, some uh, Leffer Blonde, uh, 6.6%. Okay. Well, it's, a, it's a sort of classic anyway. You it can't really go wrong with the old Leffer. <laughs> so on to the 66 BFI London Film Festival 2022, mm. which is taking place from the 5th of the 16th of October. Um, and, you know, this episode, we're going to kind of chat around uh, some of the Asian stuff that's playing. I mean, yeah. this this probably won't take too long, will it? Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> probably not, man, to be honest. It's uh, slim pickings. Slim mm. pickings, I think it's very fair to say. Slightly uh, surprisingly, uh, I think. I don't think pickings have been quite so slim at other festivals. And without being too shitty about it there's not been massively good programming uh <laughs> sorry without <laughs> wanting to start us off by damn but you know what you know what i mean though i mean through eastern kick you know we cover so many different festivals right so there is a lot of interesting stuff out there mm. and you know you expect someone like london to pick up some of the uh you know the obvious things which we'll get through but um you know outside of can and things like that it just doesn't seem like they cast their net very it doesn't seem like focused asian programming uh, i guess is what i'd say i guess what we're going to be talking about are films which have been largely just picked up because other festivals have played them we're actually we're we're, we're uh we're going we're, we're going here already i was actually kind of planning to come back to this but um i think we it can is, come, yeah we can come back we, to it yeah, we can come back to it it more damning detail later, <laughs> but, yeah. it's just Maybe that's the do. most immediate most immediate thing which jumps out after you're, you're you know you're rightly saying there's not much to talk about with the film um, i mean the thing for me that I, I i do see that is that is there are a lot of films this year from korea or with a korean uh angle or twist to mm. them um you know, as opposed to coming from anywhere else in in Asia or your East Asia, at least it's yeah. um, you know, it's uh, there are other countries available, I believe. You know, not to, <laughs> you know. So we've got the the headline film, uh, one of the kind of headline films, which is the the latest from Park Chan Wook, uh, yeah, Decision yeah. to Leave, which is also actually is, is getting a, a release after, I believe, not as well. not long after, in a matter mm. of days. Um, matter of days after so you know uh, i'm not you know ne never a massive uh, fan of that kind of thing to be honest as well with the festival playing stuff which is just uh coming out soon and everything but um <laughs> i think we can we can kind of again we're kind of leaping into um the sort of summary section but um there are a lot of films that are either yeah. um that are being released very soon after I and mean, to be fair that's that's quite often been the case that that you know for a long time there's been stuff that's already true had that's true that's true or i think a little more cannily the distributor's been uh named within a few weeks of the tickets selling out for members <laughs> <et cetera. laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, uh, which is well which may not be 100 percent true but there's some work times you know as, as a long time ever of the well, BFI, that, that is uh that is kind of the way it feels but it's definitely you know happened. so this is Hmm. You know, so to kind of start with part, you know, I mean, I, I haven't seen the film yet. Um, it's no, it's sort of advertised as a thriller, channeling a bit of Hitchcock in there. Um, you've got a, you you have got a, a great cast in there. You've got yeah. Park Ale from Moss, uh, Amus, mm. and plenty of other films. And you've got Tang Wei as well from Lust Caution, and mm. um, that's a, a great Cine Asia release, The Whistleblower, uh, as, well as, <laughs> as well as many other, uh, many double other, vomit, uh, uh, as many other great films like Wu Xiao and all sorts of films. I mean, she's a great, she is a great. She, film. She is I mean, a great that's, actor. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, so 
we can't say too much about that, you know, because neither of us have seen it, you know. But I, I mean, Park Chan-wook is, a, is a, a reliable, always very reliable director. I don't know. I'm a bit tired of him, like. Uh, <laughs> just, well, you know what I mean? I, I think, and I think part of this is just our, you know, when we came in, when we were getting into Asian cinema, he, you know, he was pretty much the main man back then, with, like the Vengeance films and you know, whatnot and everything. Um, and now, we're kind of, I mean, I wasn't massively impressed with The Handmaiden. And it's been a while since that, and mm. I, I don't I know. It's quite he, a long he, gap. I mean, there's a TV series between, wasn't there? But it hasn't been a lot. That's right. Else. That's true. That's true. Um, uh, yeah, what was your BBC English language TV series? But it hasn't been yes, a lot between. Yeah. No, but he's. He, I don't know. I'm still. I'm definitely going to watch it. Mm. Um, but I, I think he's one of those directors who he. Ha, I wouldn't. I really like the the sort of uh, sort of nihilistic stylings of his earlier films and stuff like that. And when he kind of dropped them, and, and you know, you said like Hitchcock style, which I think is exactly right. He's he's kind of, but he's kind of like done Hitchcock in a Korean style, which is kind of like overwrought and overstretched. <laughs> so I, I don't know what the running time for a decision to leave is, but is it over two hours? Uh, I can tell you now, it is over two hours. It is two. It is. It is. Come on, oh, okay. No, it no, is two no. hours, and I want you to guess. Fifteen. Two hours. 15. On the money. One hundred and thirty-five minutes. I knew it. One hundred thirty. Oh my god! Even that just sounds like someone's dancing on my grave. So, yeah, I will watch it because it it is playing in Glasgow as part of this as well. So I probably will go and see it. Uh, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, he he's he's such a talented director visually and everything. But mm. I think his storytelling has just it, it's not really advanced or gone anywhere for quite a long time. Mm. I'll be and we're we're judging him against his other works and everything. We're not judging him against, you know, lesser filmmakers in that respect. So I think it's fair to say that. And I think some of the I've not read I don't read the reviews. I just check the clickbait headlines. But the reviews <laughs> have been pretty pretty mixed for this as well. Um, people saying it, it's one of those films where you know it does drag. I, I think people have said, and the plotting is pretty muddled. So definitely, I don't know, keep an open mind. I'll definitely see it. <laughs> didn't didn't like the handmaiden too much. Um, you got the point very quickly and it just kept going and going and going but um yeah as you said tang Wei's a great actress i think that it's interesting that he's working with her on this as well with that kind of pan-asian pan-asian cast and stuff so um it, yeah, and I think, it, it does feel like that it. sort of thing is, is starting to happen quite a lot Ooh. i mean i think we, we talked about it before but this idea that um yeah there are chinese actors turning up in in yeah, for with a Korean director, there are Japanese actors uh, directors going off and um, well, directing Chinese the Korean cast. Chinese actors, they pretty much have to. What are they going to do in China? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. I mean, although she she got over her blacklisting and stuff, but I mean, you referenced like uh, the Whistleblower. I mean, a, a dreadful film, an absolute bore of a film, but very representative of Chinese commercial thrillers. And China doesn't have an art house scene. So what else is if you're she's genuinely a great actress. I mean, what else? Is yeah. she gonna do? She, she's not yeah. going to do anything in China unless she wants to play Chairman Mao. So which, I don't know if she could try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I lesser, don't know. Man. Le, uh, yeah. Lesser, lesser men and women have tried. Um, <laughs> I mean, for me, uh, the, 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 the film that really stood out for me um, and mm. I was hoping that this was going to play here was the next effort from uh, director Julian mm. Jung yes. um, collaborating again with the amazing Beiduna uh, next yes. to which I know you've you've seen I mean I'm, I'm I, just putting off I, I want to see it on the big screen um, I don't think it'll make a massive difference to be honest I don't think it's I think this is a bit of a it, it's not a, I'm, and I'm not I'm choosing my words super carefully because mm-hmm. I'm not going to say much but it, this is more uh, not in a bad way um, I, I hate like what's I Daniel Craig? Uh, sorry, I Daniel Blake. <laughs> <I> Daniel... <laughs> That's probably one of the bizarre, bizarre Freudian slips. But anyway, it, you know, it's a much more of that kind of like nuts and bolts type social drama type film. Yeah, but uh, in a very good way, and I really liked it. But I think when, when I saw it, like I, I'd not read anything at all whatsoever, but I hadn't even read the synopsis. So I, I think that really helped me with i think it's a good film anyway with a lot to uh, to offer because i knew nothing about the story or the structure even and then after when i was you know writing the review I, I read the plot synopsis and some of the plot synopsis 
um, I'm just surprised about how much they actually tell you about what happens in the film. So I think it's it, it could, it's a film you either, you know, it's going to work really well on a plot level if you don't know about it. But if you do know what happens in it, it's still got a lot of sort of social mm. value and everything. It's not a million miles away from The Girl at My Door. I mean, it's mm. a very, it's a different subject and stuff. Mm. But, you know, in terms of her, her uh, approach to the material uh, and everything, obviously with the cast, but, uh, it just... I just don't know why it's been eight, about eight, seven, eight years, whatever, since Girl on My Door, because she's when you when you watch this, but it doesn't really feel like she's been away. Almost, there's no change to her film style in a good way or mm. anything. So it's just why? Like, I know we don't I mean, have an it's answer. Sure, it's but... that you know that, that that's not uncommon for Korean mm. directors to to, for want of a better word, kind of disappear for for quite true. a long time. True, true. Um, I also do wonder if there is. Uh, you know, I don't know if this one was was produced by Lee Chang Dong like like July's date like oh, debut, yeah, but yeah, yeah, you know I'm maybe sure. there is a bit uh, still a bit of a difficulty for female uh, could be filmmakers yes. to get yeah, that, that yeah. kind of you know particularly with that sort of you know the kind of classic uh, you know difficult second film you know to get the, yeah. the funding to actually yeah. go ahead. I don't know. I mean uh, that would be that would be an interesting, interesting question to. <laughs> Like yeah, I, I'm sure that that'll be the first question. Why is it taking you eight years to make your next film? Um, mm. Especially since you know we're, we're not talking about something which would have had like the massive production, post-production, or even even money. It's a fairly low budget kind of film and stuff. So but, um, I don't know, but yeah, we interest if she's at the festival. I don't know, maybe you can have a chance to have a chat with her or something because uh, it would be interesting to to know about that side of it. But it is a good film. Uh, I don't think it'll have the same impact as. A girl at my door it, it is more korean in a way and mm. the issues it deals with um and because because of the kind of filmmaker she is she doesn't spoon spoon feed you rather like you know this is the situation in korea at the time this is the politics this is what's yeah. happening everything yeah. so um if you don't know anything about it you'll still it's still a great film but uh i suspect for korean audiences it would have come from a bit more of a kick in the balls Mm. Uh, but it, it, it's a good film. She, it's definitely. I think I probably four starred it. Um, I'm sure I did. Like, but it, it's mm. that's definitely gonna be one of the better films. It's certainly one of the better of the slim pickings of Asian film film festival. <laughs> and it's just yeah, hope, hope it's not eight years till her next film. I guess, man. And Beidouna is fantastic as usual. And the young, the young actress who plays the lead role is uh, amazing uh, in the film. But it's 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 a very great film. Because the star of uh, the young star from A Girl at My Door has, has gone on to a lot of films as well. So, yeah. I mean, so it seems, yeah. you know, John uh, Dung seems to be very good at spotting this 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 talent and mm, definitely, um, you know, where to go next. Yeah, so let's yeah, let's move on to some of the other ones before you you give away any spoilers to me because I'm, oh, I'm so looking forward to it. Um, so we've got uh, another. <laughs> so we kind of go if we go through some of the the other Korean films that mm. I'm playing because uh, there are a few. Um, we have uh, the Woman in White, then the White Car by Christine Ko, which is a debut feature film. Um, mm. Again, I haven't seen this film at the time of no. recording. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's a, a serpentine thriller and it describes uh, the BFI listing line. That's such a BFI way to describe yeah. a serpentine Well, also, they, they used the, the phrase the spirit oh. of Fargo, I believe. Um, so, oh, uh, the sp even just the spirit of. Anyway, that's a different complaint. But yeah. yeah. But I do think. That it is. Mm. This will. This will. This will please you. Oh no, no, sorry. I was going to say it's under two hours, but no, it's two hours five minutes. Um, oh, why? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Another film, actually, which has a pretty decent pedigree, is New Normal yeah. by Jung mm. Bumsik, who uh, has been behind quite a few films in the past, hasn't he? So yeah. he's um, director of uh one of your least favorite uh, found footage films i believe gone jam mm. haunted asylum ah what a disappointment <laughs> but he was also he also it did is. epitaph as well he was one of the epitaph guys yeah epitaph um, and horror stories one and two which i do love i do i love all the horror stories films uh, the third one being the wackiest one with like androids and stuff but um I, yeah, no, so this I mean, is another John... anthology type oh okay piece. does he do so with different directors or is he just one he of is, He is the screenwriter, director for the whole thing. Um, Interesting. As far as the lesson oh, goes. Okay, um, okay. I think, believe it has six stories, um, but cool. uh, uh, all in less than two hours as well. 
So, yeah, okay, well, I, def- I will definitely like to watch that. I, I'm definitely the less than two hours sold already, and he's he is good at short horror stuff from you know from the epitaph and everything. He just dropped the ball with Gonjam because he didn't understand the found footage for him. <laughs> no one does. No, no one, one does. does. I do. I do. <laughs> anyway, I will bet. New normal. Okay. Uh, well, hopefully, I mean, hopefully they'll get. Well, it's not going to get a release. Let's be honest. But uh, you I would like know. to see it. You never know. But, um, but we can we can take an educated guess. Yeah, we can take. I would like. It doesn't. Good. As far as I know, at the moment, it hasn't been picked up by anyone. Um, so moving on, we've got Jiyong Sun, which is a, a part of the London Film Festival's first feature competition mm-hmm. by Jiyong Jihai, um, and uh, it's a. Bold, they just describe here as a bold debut tackling the recent epidemic of digital sex crimes in South Korea. So that'll obviously that'll be quite cheery viewing. Um, it's just been uh, a bunch of docs on Netflix and like that kind of uh, you know that that subject and everything. Yeah, so, uh, I think this is a, as far as I know, it's a it's a drama then. Yeah. Okay. But but um, again, I mean, again, this is kind of plays to, and we'll come back to this, but this sort of mix mm. of what are quite small films, you know, and in, in particular, yeah. this is is. is it's quite interesting and, and, and quite exciting from a new director and the, mm-hmm. the very big films that we already know have a, a yes, distributor. Yeah. And I guess that's always a balance with any film festival, but it doesn't feel massively well-considered, I think. Is, is... I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's a random... You, you, can, you can tell when it's a random mix versus a, a considered curating choice for stuff. I think you can see and the, the, the other film of the Korean um, uh, connection is mm. uh, by a Korean-American called So Young Um, uh, Liquor Store Dreams. Um, and this is one I have seen. I don't want to kind of give away too many spoilers, but, you know, it is, it's a really, I want to use a word like cute, which is actually kind of damning it with faint <laughs> praise, but it is it very is. nice. It's very nice yeah. in the way it presents. It is done from her point of view, which is from... Mm. Uh, Korean town, Korea town in in South LA, um, okay. and uh, you know her coming from a family who who run a liquor store, you know, mm. and the fact that it is such a cliche in American films, um, you know, from do the right thing onwards, mm. um, or it's probably even before then. So for me, yeah, it was a lot of a lot of stuff that I didn't know about with Korea town, and um, you know how much a, a, a part, you know, the the events there. Um, where uh, a, a young girl, a uh, young teenager was killed in a Korean shop, a Korean liquor store, um, which happened around the same time as the whole Rodney King thing and kind of helped fuel some of the, the feeling towards, you know, it happened with the you know, 1992 mm. LA riots. And, you know, it's something that it was just completely beyond what I, I knew. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, so, yes, yeah, so uh, she's currently in uh, Busan. Her film is screening it as part of the Busan Film Festival. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yes, yeah, so I caught up with her a couple of days ago, and this is what we, we, we had to chat about. Who would have guessed that a child of a liquor store owner like me would want to make films? Hello, Soyeon. Thank you so much Hello. for joining us for a, a for chat about me. the film. That's absolutely fine. I mean, I, you know, we can go into it, but I, I really enjoy the documentary. Um, I, yeah, let's let's get straight into the questions, and obviously mm-hmm. we'll talk about the film. But I want to kind of go back and, and ask you, when did you decide you wanted to become a filmmaker and, and what spurred that decision on? Mm-hmm. I don't know if there was, I mean, I feel like there's always a moment. Um, it was actually when I watched Requiem for a Dream that I felt like it was, it was kind of in my uh, teenage to college years where I watched that film and it had such a big impact on me that I was like, oh, I would love to have this kind of emotional influence on somebody, but obviously not same theme or story but something that is very true to me and i think for me i i didn't know how to begin so it mm-hmm. just felt like a thought and so it was something that i was just trying to figure out and work towards but it wasn't until probably 
I went through um, several fellowships that I really mm-hmm. learned how to tell a story and what kind of story I want to tell and what kind of filmmaker I wanted to be. And um, I mean, does that kind of tie into the, the, the short film you made um, before this, Liquor Store Babies? You know, how did that mm-hmm. that come about? Yeah, I was part of this fellowship called, uh, it was through Visual Communications, and they run the LA Asian American Film Festival in LA, and they have a fellowship called Arm with a Camera, and I I think I applied twice before, got rejected, and for me, I don't really, I'm not like thwarted by rejections, I'm like, okay, let's just keep going, and so I think on the third try, I had this concept that I felt like, okay, this is pretty doable, this is close to home, and I made it work, and I think um, my editor and I, I think she just made it so much better, Jean Ream. And so we were really able to bring this to, especially two characters in a five-minute short is very difficult to do, but it was something that I really wanted to, this was a story I really wanted to tell. And so I think our collaboration really, like, we really made this happen. And I think after that, a lot of people, thought the short was amazing. They're like, oh, can we see a feature film? And I I think for me, I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what that <laughs> looks like. How, how do you even begin that? Like, I just made this short film. And so it wasn't, um, I mean, that's basically how the fil- short film started. Mm. And, and so then, then people are trying to get, you know, saying you've got to turn it into a feature. How did, how did you get to that point? How did you mm-hmm. actually kind of go, okay, yes, I will. I, I, I'm going to start. Yeah. I think because I'm a first-time filmmaker, I think the concept was so foreign to me. Like, how do I even begin? How do I go from a five-minute film to a 90-minute film? And I think until I saw the ending of what the story could possibly be, and that wasn't actually until in the film you see Danny reopening his store, he rebranded mm. it, and really brought the community together. It was actually that event that I saw a possible ending. Mm. And obviously this, the story evolves in many different ways, but I think once that um, event happened, I saw, okay, this is something kind of the tra- trajectory of the story I want to tell, just because I, I know with documentaries, it could take so long, and I knew that I wanted to finish it in a couple of years. I didn't want to take longer than four plus years. I was like, mm. I have, <laughs> I need to like finish it in this time length. Yeah. And, uh, so unless I knew how the story would go and where I saw the ending, I don't think I would have ever started it. I, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, because it is an interesting kind of way to look at it because, you know, on the one hand, you know, as, as a documentary filmmaker, you know, it's always you, you, you've got to kind of let things happen, but also you do need a direction to go in. You know, sometimes you see documentaries mm-hmm. where... Um, uh, events hijack uh, the film, and you know you end up with something that's 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 not a coherent story. Mm-hmm. It's not a case of story, and in some ways, it, that partly happened to you because um, you know way that that when you you started this, anyone in the world could have predicted mm-hmm. that we'd have to deal with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and you know perhaps it was a little more predictable, but you know, but the whole George Floyd incident mm-hmm. as well you know and and what that creates you know what happened off the back of both of those things who know that that happened um but in some ways it actually kind of helps you bring some of these ideas together would you think for sure for sure i think when we yes we did not anticipate the year of 2020, I just feel like a lot of the issues that we were having as a society and just uh, government-wise, and just I think it really confirmed a lot of issues we had internally as people, as families, relationships, and so um, definitely we did not foresee that. But I think it was something that we always had to reckon with that there was underlying issues that had not been addressed, and then kind of tying it back, hey this is actually a very scary place to go towards, but it seems like I need to go there. Um, that was kind of what the result of the film was. And so when you get into the process of, of, of making the film, was it difficult to get your family and, and friends to open up to you on camera? Was that something you had to 
were you always kind of filming them like that or mm-hmm. was that something you introduced and had to get them used to? They were pretty open from the very beginning. I think they always think, oh, it, what we do is not very special. Like, I don't know why you're filming us and we're just, this is our day-to-day life. So for them, it didn't feel that interesting and they're just regular people, quote unquote. And I think they were, I didn't think they thought anything of it. They just were really open to me finding out about their story. And especially with obviously my parents and somebody like Danny's family, I've been friends with them for maybe five plus years. Mm -hmm. And so we already had an existing relationship and kind of an understanding. And so I think with that in mind, they were pretty open. And I obviously found new information that I would have never found out from my parents and Danny if Mm. it wasn't for the film. And the way they open up, I mean, particularly Danny and and his mum as well, you know, they really do kind of let let themselves be very open in front of of, of the camera, in front of you, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean... How much, I mean, it was kind of to a kind of a more kind of practical question. How much footage did you shoot over the, you know, sort of, I guess, coming up to about four years that you were, were working mm-hmm. on this? And how much of a, a, an ordeal was it to edit it down? I was pretty intentional when I shot just because I knew what direction I, I wanted to go to. So I felt like with every scene, I said, okay. Um, obviously I won't be able to predict the outcome, but I would need A, B, and C from this, this scene. So I think we, I felt we shot pretty quickly, but obviously because, um, during the pandemic, everybody was a bit isolated. Some people even changed careers. So it was really up to me to, uh, be the major, I guess, main, um, camera person. And so even, and I think that was the bulk of the film is that I just had to go out there and get all the footage and um, get the moments that I needed. And then the, the the editing process. I mean, how how was that? Did you work with the same person again? No, I I, oh. I didn't. Um, I wish Jin was on it, but I also found it was really hard to find a Korean speaking editor who really understood like our story. And Christina mm-hmm. Sun Kim is our editor for Book Resort Dreams, and she was so amazing. I think she just had to watch every single thing even um all the awkward moments with my parents but i think she really understood and just was able to cut it pretty quickly mm-hmm. and capture moments that i probably wouldn't have been able to do myself just because she does also have even though she's also korean american she grew up in texas and so i think she didn't really understand how much the la uprisings meant to us and what happened and a lot of so I think it it really helped kind of having a person who understood, but also have a person who has an outsider's view. So mm-hmm. we can ha- tell a story that's very relatable to everybody. And I was going to come to that because I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in um, Korean, you know, and Asian mm-hmm. culture generally, you know, obviously I've got like my, the website. Um, and also I'm actually, particularly back in, in the, the days of the sort of, the you know, that sort of, uh, black cinema of the sort of late 80s mm-hmm. early 90s I'm quite interested in that so I didn't know about this whole side of 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 the story about the Natasha Harlan's mm-hmm. incident and um the effect that I had on 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 mm-hmm. Koreatown and and you know how much that was a part of the 1992 Los Angeles riots you know mm-hmm. how important was that to kind of uh, shed light on on that side of it very much I feel like a lot of it's surprising because I've shown the film several times and a lot of people are like, wow, I've never known. And I was like, wow, I, I guess I don't think I learned it in school either, but it was just something that as some people that we, as people that live in LA, we kind of just share information. And I think I probably learned that on my own through movies and things like that. But yeah, I think it was important just because it felt like if I didn't address it, then I was leaving out a big elephant in the room. And mm-hmm. I feel like, people would say, why are you not talking about it? If you're going to talk about everything else, you should talk about this too, which is probably one of the major contributors to the to why the uprising happened back in 92. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was just one incident of police brutality. It was like accumulation of many events that 
obviously unfortunate, but I think this is truly like a culmination. And I think a lot of it's like two minority uh, groups kind of in one area that kind of, um, I guess, got the brunt of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and collateral damage. Yeah. yeah. I think kind of, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, in some sense, it just seems kind of ridiculous between minority groups. But you know, I mean, it's, and it's interesting to see that that with the George Floyd, your your feelings and your mm -hmm. dad kind of kind of swell up again. You know, about about mm -hmm. what's going on. It's quite, uh, really quite powerful. You know, um. So I mean, kind of pushing ahead. You're in currently in Korea. Mm -hmm. um, and have you shown the film to Korean audiences yet, or is that coming up? That would be the first time at Busan. Busan, yeah. yeah. And, you know, so what do you think they're, they're going to make of, of, of your film? We were actually <laughs> really shocked because we weren't sure if Korean audiences, especially for such a big festival like Busan International Film Festival, there's a lot of bigger films than our film. And so we were like, I don't know if anybody will come, but we actually... Through, um, we got three screenings and we saw that 95% of it was already sold and the second screening's already sold out. So that was really surprising to us. And I I think I'll have to see when we get there, like a lot of, are these people majority Korean people? Are they Korean Americans that came from America that are also interested? Or I guess to me, I didn't, I don't actually, I don't actually know how much Korean people know about Korean American issues, especially specific. Mm -hmm so specifically to LA and what mm. we went through. And so I do think you'll give them a bit of an insight. And I don't know, we're just really excited, especially my parents are also here. And oh, great. <laughs> they'll be able to, yeah, they'll be able to see what Korean people will also think and hopefully mm. they'll be able to resonate. I mean, it's quite interesting because um, uh, you, you, your parents uh, at the beginning of the film seem quite dismissive of uh, mm -hmm. your your filmmaking aspirations, mm -hmm. but it it feels like by the time you get to the end, they've actually come to come to terms with with the with, with that decision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Even when <laughs> I think the most impact has been probably going to film festivals and them actually watching it and seeing how. Um, what a big deal it is. I think when we premiered at Tribeca, I think they just thought it was a very small festival that they were just going. And my, my mom came in her pajamas basically for the red <laughs> carpet. And so it, um, yeah, I don't think they fully understood until we started showing it to people and the, and the, the impact that it has. So now you've, you're, you're, you're obviously you're touring, you're coming to London as well once you're done in, in Busan to, to, to screen a film here. Um, do, do you have plans for, for what you're working on next? Are you going to stay with documentaries or are you going mm -hmm. to you know, do uh, fictional films or what's yeah. the plans? Well, actually, before I um, started Liquor Store Dreams, I've been working on a narrative feature like screenplay and I think it wasn't until after I finished *The Ghost of Dreams* that I really realized like what I need to do to make the narrative version so much better. And I would obviously love to continue doing documentaries as well as narrative feature films, whether even features or television. I think I'm really flexible and really comes down to what are the stories that we're trying to tell, and is it really engaging? Is it challenging? And does it have a lot? does it tell a story about humanity with a lot of, I guess, heart? Mm. So, I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, this is still kind of, in relative terms, kind of early days for you, but do you have um, advice for anyone starting out as a, as a filmmaker? Mm -hmm. um, I always say tell the story that you know, because even if you think it's not important, it actually is. And because you are the best person to tell it, I don't think anybody, especially as a, uh, a film lover, I don't know if I would have ever told this film if obviously I wasn't in my position, I didn't have my experience, but also if it already existed out in the world. If somebody also created, had this film, I don't think I would have also made it just because 
I think I want to do something really, really different, tell a story that hasn't been told through a film before, but also with, because if I really think about it, you know, when I say uh, 80% of all people in South LA in the 80s were Korean, like all the stores were Korean owned, mm. that's a lot of children. And so what are the chances? I'm sure there could have been another filmmaker in that batch, but I think given everybody has a very unique experience and I always say lean into that, even though you think it might be mundane, there's always stories that are always universal and just keep shooting because you never know what it will end up as. Because for me, I just started with a small concept. I didn't think it would turn into a feature length film and that we would be touring everywhere. (laughs) So just start small and just keep going. I think that's kind of what I'm also learning and telling myself. Mm. And it's, it's a really enjoyable film. So, I mean, thank you so much for the chat. Um, obviously, you'll be in London soon. You'll probably find yourself coming over to, to, to my side of, of, of London, East London, because that's that's where it's at. People don't don't bother with West London anymore. So. Okay, you know, I'll write, I'll write things down. I feel like my first time in London, super excited, um, super excited to go to the festival. So yeah, definitely going to do all the touristy stuff. You're you're bound to, you'll, you'll do all the touristy stuff. And if you, you you end up with any of the, the, what the, the cool kids, um, which I have to call them because they're all kids to me now, um, (laughs) are doing, then, um, you'll probably find yourself in places like Dalston and Hackneywit, which is kind of my kind of where I am. Okay. Um, very cool. So, uh, yeah, and if you want any tips, just just uh, let me know. I can uh, send you a few. Thank you. Yeah, send, send me anything. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank and, you so uh, much. Yeah, and I hope the, the screenings go well at, at Busan and see, yes. maybe see you in London. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Thank you for making this work on short notice. <laughs> no I know that it was so chaotic, but, yes, um, feel free to reach out to us anytime, Will, and my team and yes we'll see you in london great thank Thank you you. all right all right right. enjoy your evening bye thank you bye so we're going to move on to some of the other films that are playing so uh, we've got a, a film from um, Koji Fukada. Yeah, it's yeah, somebody right. who's been, you know, we know for, particularly from Harmonium. Um, ah, that's some, yes, yes. A yes, Girl yes. Missing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's got quite, it has been getting quite a few good reviews. He's again, a festival. Has... He's definitely a festival type of festival mm. type of guy with his films and stuff. Uh, not massive fan. I didn't like Harmonium. I remember being excited to watch Harmonium. Um, and then having a few drinks before it and then just being, oh, <laughs> that's what I kind of associate. It was very ponderous, Harmonium. Um, mm. But I, I don't know about I me, mean, and obviously I haven't seen this one yet. So I Yeah, wouldn't... Love Life. So um, we've got that, and uh, we've also got Sho uh, Miyaki, who, um, with Small, Slow But Steady, which is another one of these kind of uh, sports films. And actually, the first were a couple of sports films in there. So this is a deaf aspiring boxer. Um, okay, okay. So it's very like the kind of Hong Kong films we've been <laughs> pushed towards of, of late. You know, I mean, been, there have been some other Japanese ones as well. But I mean, this this uh, hmm. show has, has done things like "And Your Bird Can Sing," and he also did the uh, recent uh, Juon Origins series as well. Didn't oh, he? the series! I like that. That was a very good. That was a really good series, actually. Um, so. Uh, yeah, and you kind of it's, it's good for people to kind of be mixing around with genres, I think, rather than getting stuck with anything too. Well, no, no, sure, too... sure. I mean, I, if it's another like aspiring underdog sports drama, I'm probably not going to check it out, to be honest. But I did, I did, <laughs> I did really. Well, come on, we we've had a yeah, lot yeah, of those yeah, yeah. enough to to fill my gullet. But um, <laughs> I did like that Jew on Origins series. It was surprisingly good. And another sports film, but this time from Thailand, is our old friend Narapol. Um, with his Fast and Feel Love. Um, I have seen it. Um, I, well, again, it was over two hours, which is um, doesn't really work for the sort of film it is. So it is, I'm not sure if it's meant to be, it is a comedy, and it's very, yeah. it's very kind of, um, if anything, kind of in that sort of Hong Kong style of the 
uh, Moleko kind of very madcap mm. kind of, of stuff. Um, I really wanted to, to, to like it more, but um, I, and it, and it should have done. It's a it's a it's a, the, the 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 sport it's about is a beer cup stacking, so it should be you know, completely <laughs> stupid. A sport. Sorry, as a sport, uh, as a sport. When, when, I've just been when you've been. I mean, I I've heard the name of the film, but I don't know anything about it. And you're, I was picturing, no, I wasn't picking beer cup stuff. Is that a, I didn't know that was a sport, but fair enough. Um, well, it appears to be, but this this, is, this has like this this very juvenile uh, juvenile guy mm, um, okay. who seems to only have kids as as his opponents, um, and oh, it's okay. really like it's, it's about sort of deal. yeah, but it, it I, I mean at least those films are about ninety minutes, they you know, tend to be, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and, yeah. and, and, and it also yeah. uh, there is a more serious side to this. There's a there's the lead actress in, in the film is is. Um, actually, kind of underused. You kind of think so. She's she's kind of his girlfriend, and she almost comes across at the beginning like she has this kind of Machiavellian plan. And yeah. in fact, she just seems to be supporting her boyfriend, kind of do what he likes, basically, and and not really make any money. Um, <laughs> you know, and and it is about that that sort of where where relationships want to go. So it just kind of yeah. it kind of pulls aside to the serious stuff, but then it goes back into the very kind of madcap comedy and. For me, I know you get a bit of that with some of the Molo sometimes, but it doesn't it doesn't mm. pull you out yeah. the same way. And I wasn't it, it I know, and again this is very much the kind of thing you get it with these sort of comedies where they use the music to kind of hammer home the joke. Right. But this right, one right, basically right, does yeah. it, yeah. you know, you kind of like the piano music and it kinda of goes into a rock, bit of rock mm, kind of hammer, yeah. you know. Oh no, this no, one, no, no, yeah. And this one you. does it too way too much. It kind of like every joke is kind of, you know, done that way. So it actually kind of felt quite exhausting, really exhausting watching it. I'm exhausted. And not I'm exhausted as exhausted even hearing about it, I'm exhausted. So. And then again um, we've got another kind of quite interesting film, you know, um, mm-hmm. which is, is getting quite a good press by uh Makabul Mabakarak. Um mm-hmm. I might try saying that again. Makabul Mubarak, who makes a debut with um, Autobiography, which is an Indonesian film, um, but okay. a very multinational uh, production. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, the, the, the sense of he, he's focusing on a journey of a young man as he begins to taste power for the first time um, with brutal <laughs> results. That's so vague still. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, the obviously check out the, the, you know, the, the site for, for, for more more information yeah. on it but um you know it has been getting quite a, a lot of interesting press um okay there are uh you know quite a few documentaries there are quite a few mm. um about china um funnily enough mm. so you know we have trin minar's documentary what about china um we have uh violet du feng's and Xiao Qing's doc Hidden Letters, which explores how two Chinese women are linked by the knowledge of an ancient secret language, mm-hmm. um, and has uh, this is kind of a detail that kind of stuck in my brain. Um, getting some of the press releases <laughs> where it's got music by Leon Lewis. Um, I know, I know that name from somewhere. She's, she's one of these pop idol type people who who then got very successful. Fair play to her. Then mm-hmm. I don't know much about that yeah. business, but. Um, and the other one is uh, is about uh, Hong Kong, Blue Island by uh, uh, Chan yes. Si Woon, who I, I mean, I didn't realise this quite at first until I kind of looked at the the the, hmm. um, the selection in more detail. But he he was one. Of, he did have a film as part of the Fresh Wave. Um, okay. Which I, it was always one that kind of stood out for me because actually it was a very straight straightly played mockumentary uh it's mm. called being rain representation and will um but it was just basically these these docu- documentary filmmakers who suddenly find out that there's something weird going on wherever whenever there is a um protest it always rains you know so <laughs> so you need umbrellas you know you can kind of see umbrellas, umbrellas. Yeah. umbrellas yes um which i always thought was was actually great because it didn't it didn't kind of it didn't kind of you know Say which kind of side it was standing on. It was just this kind of wonderful, uh, kind okay. of, you know, weird. But this is this is very much more of a a, a serious documentary, Blue Island. So it is kind of it looks at political activism. It looks at you know the history of that in Hong Kong, and not just what's been going on recently, but you know mm. it looks at 
um, people who came over from mainland China in the 70s. It looks at the 1967 riots were actually about uh, labourers um, mm. who, who were rebelling against the British government at that point in order to yes. be recognised as Chinese, you know. Yeah. But of course, unsurprisingly, it does come around to the situation now. Um, and you do what, go for it watching little cards come up saying, oh yeah, this person's um, still in custody waiting there to our, our <laughs> Okay, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's the sort of thing we've, we've seen a lot of and, and we'll probably see a lot more of. Very popular, uh, very popular. So, I mean, there's a couple of kind of surprising additions to, I mean, if you really want to call them um, any kind of connections to kind of East Asian, but the, the, I think the oldest one is the Bill Nye film Living, um, which is <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, uh. a remake of Akira Kurosaka's Ikiru. And, uh, yeah. and and I I mean I when I I was writing up my my kind of quick summary for 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 Ace and Kicks I mm. the thing that kind of struck me was like well why is it it's kind of set in the same time as the original mm -hmm. film you know kind of not more like a few years afterwards, yeah. um, and you've had the pleasure of seeing a trailer I haven't but <laughs> yeah I've, <laughs> I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing a trailer it's, it's a got, horrible got, got trailer old, old Bill Nye in it and. Bill Nye, he, um, you know, and it Sean, should it should be Sean coming from dead, somewhere good. It's got the because the, the the script is by um, Kazu Ishiragu Guru, who did Remains of a Day and Never Let Me Go, um, produced by both, Stephen Woolley. Both, but... both both those films are a bit pish, but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but no, the trailer. I mean, the trailer's horrible. I, I don't know. I mean, we're talking about the trailer here, so I haven't seen the film. Will I? Probably not. To be fair, I did. I think Bill Nye, he's just. It's Shaun of the Dead guy. He's from Underworld. He, he always plays like an old vampire or undead guy or something. Or like some old vaguely queer guy in romantic comedies. And this the trailer for the film just looks like um it just looks like some kind of love actually type film or something like that. It's all very nice, but so much play on the sort of stiff upper lip British British sort of gentleman type of guy who's you know, we're I guess Frenry doesn't seem to live the Kurosawa film, which I'm not really a fan of anyway. Um, I'm not going to say what his, you know, what's happening to him and stuff in the film and everything, but it just looked, it just looked piss boring. He, he, to be honest, he looked like a Tory politician or something like that in the trailer or anything like that, who was like a bit of re-smog type stuff. Like, <laughs> I don't know, it seems like a bad time to release this film, and it is coming out very soon as well. But he, it's just uh, watching that film, I felt loathing that trailer rather. I just felt loathing for him. To be honest, it, and it does. It, it seems it does seem like an odd project. I, I mean, whether it's the right time or wrong time, it, it doesn't seem like like it's ever the right time. It, it's still like a but rich old business dude. Hmm. You know, it's still like a rich old white business dude who's coming to terms. I guess with here his, we get into life. that sort of uh, the, you know, that sort of uh, the uh, baby boomer kind of films we get that are, are released. Yes. That the yeah. people understand what's going on, and they've got some older people in there to watch. You know. Best Marigold Hotel or whatever it's called. That kind yes, of, you're right. You know, exactly. It, no, that's it, it is that was probably aimed at that you're sort right, of market. You're right. You know, get, get. And I get, and that's kind of the shame, I suppose. I mean, not like I say, like not, I'm not a massive Kurosawa fan, and especially not of that film. But it has a, you know, it's got a pedigree. It, it's got, you know, it's still like, you know, classic for people who, who, who like that. But you're right that this film is looks exactly bypassed all of that and just gone straight for that exotic Marigold. <laughs> audience demographic rather than any kind of artistry but it's only the trailer and i'll probably never know because i won't watch the film maybe you can you can watch it and review it for the kicks uh probably uh, not this is my this is the sound i'm doing sound <laughs> of the x um i think i think i can i can miss that one maybe well, maybe someone could, else right? maybe someone else on team will go and see it <laughs> anyway phil, and that's something phil, phil will pick it up phil will do it he loves like me yeah um, I said the other kind of surprising inclusion is um, yeah. just because it has a quite a, a well-known uh, Filipino actress is Triangle of Sadness, which oh, yeah, is yeah. Um, you know one of the one of the other kind of I guess they kind of try and try to describe it as one of the big tickets for, mm. for the London Film Festival. Um, it, yeah, Dolly De Leon, who has been in Verdict. History of Half with Lav Diaz, and oh, yeah. um, also she's in the On the Job TV series, right? Um, okay. Aswang as well. You know, so she's got she, and she is really good in it. I mm. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but my only reservations are that the 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 character is 
um, a little reduced to kind of stereotypes, you know, whereas it's basically about sort of very, uh, uh, not sorry, just posh people, but it is a social satire. And it's, it's kind of, it's somehow to me, taking no stabs at people that have money is, you know, or around that kind of wealth is fine. But then people that don't or from other countries is maybe less a good thing but i don't want to say too much about that because that, no, that's kind of my, my take on it and uh, i don't fancy i don't fancy that film i mean it, it looked like it had the same kind of level of commentary as you know the dark knight rises <laughs> <laughs> sort of against rich people and stuff with all bane ranting about the rich and stuff i, I but yeah, the, the, and i don't know and it is very much from what what i understand it's, i mean I've, I've i did see it i actually i did enjoy it i have to say um enough, it is um it is very much the same thing as the square, you know. It is that same kind of. Ah, uh, okay, so, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. So it, it either, you know, it either that's your thing or it's not. It 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 does play out, and it just gets more and more bizarre as it goes on. So it's it's, it's it is pretty enjoyable, but you know, it is some. Um... Uh, it's that hypocrisy. I mean, it's from a UK perspective, like the only people who will see that film will be the people who are actually rich most of the time anyway, who can afford like a twenty pound cruise ticket, and you know that kind of thing. <laughs> so for a critique of the rich being watched by. Mostly the rich. The, the rich and the upper middle class <laughs> feeling, you know, a little bit ironic about themselves. Fuck off, man. <laughs> Sorry. That's my take on it. That's my hot take. There you go. I, having said that, if I get a free ticket for something, I might, wa I might watch it. But um, Or there might be something, nothing else released at the cinema on that, that weekend, and then you'll probably go to it. My God. Um, yeah, I know what you're like. You probably Avatar, will. You Avatar, went, you've been Avatar to worse. will be on. Avatar might have been to worse, but Avatar might be on. There's non-stop. <laughs> it's, it's October. There's going to be lots of horror films, like re-released horror films. But ah, yes. it's I don't know. It, it, that Triangle of Sadness. It just seems. It is just that genre. Like when you said the square, it just like yes, okay. I know it's that kind of film. Mm. It's just, I know that that's yeah. the kind of film for me which kills world cinema. Uh, it just makes well, I mean, this isn't even world cinema because it is, it is, I mean, uh, yeah, oh, from, from a, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I mean, from a yeah, UK yeah, perspective, yeah, plus, yeah, and yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's just the I just mean the way these films are treated in the UK and stuff like that. Um, and you know, even when we get down to like screening like uh, Hong Kong stuff, like we do, and everything like that, it's such a struggle to get anything foreign language past that subtitle sort of snobbery. Barrier. When films like this get released in the UK, they'll they'll play up the sort of intellectual angle of it and everything like mm. that, and, the, and it's just pretentious. It's, anyway. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, anyway, I'm in danger of ranting. I'll stop. <laughs> I mean, so that that's that, I mean, other outside of the kind of short films, I mean, that covers, yeah. um, you know, what is yeah. on, you know, and and uh, like like I I think I, I we discussed this before, but the the one thing mm. that sort of stood out for me is like a surprising non inclusion was. The fact that it didn't have because you you know there's certain things you can always mm. rely on at London Film Festival. There'll yeah. be a Tilda Swinton film or two, um, <laughs> or two. You, you know, yeah. or, and there will be a Hirokazu Korida film. Yes, yeah. and, and there, there's yeah. no broker as far as uh, I mean, last time I looked at this, broker is coming out in the UK, but it was going to be released by in March by it, Picture, Picture House. House. have got it, yeah. Oh. Um, I didn't really even kind of know they they put out a lot of films themselves, but. Um, yeah, I, I think mean, it's I, quite. I can. I think you can see why, though. I mean, um, I, I think after what happened with Drive My Car, I, I guess maybe they're hoping for some kind of because Drive My Car came out just after the London Film Festival stuff, right, and everything, and it yeah, did it didn't not, have previews at the London Film Festival. It had so well. many screenings around yeah. and stuff, and it played around the UK for some, and it did not do well on its cinema release. Um, and then it was re, and then it got all its Oscar stuff, and it was kind of re-released ish again and everything. But by then, most people had seen it. So, mm. I, I imagine for something like Broker, um, I mean, it seems to have got very like a pretty good reception and stuff. So, maybe they're hoping it's going to get some award season boost uh, and stuff and release it properly for them. I don't. I. I mean, and when do things have to be released? I mean, I guess in. it doesn't really matter in the, in the UK, doesn't it? Uh, you know, yeah. when do things have to? As long as it's come out in America. It, before you know if it does end up in award season or whatever then... yeah yeah exactly we, we don't really have anything to do with the award season mm. um in that respect but uh it, it, i don't know it's, a lot of it ties back into uh i think what you were saying at the start and everything about like so many of these films getting released so soon afterwards and i just never thought that would be a good thing commercially because given how many screenings there are whether it's press screenings the um 
you know, the screenings at the festival. Now, some of these BF, BFI London Film Festival screenings are around, the, even, up, even up to Glasgow. There, there's about 12 films, I think, screening up here at mm. the same time. So you take all of that away from like a specialty box office film. I, I, I don't really. It's, it's, I mean, the, the, I mean in some ways, this comes to, to kind of, you know, maybe a, a good way to kind of. Uh, kind of summarise some of this as well. Mm, Talk a bit mm. more about the London Film Festival because they have, after the last couple of years with with what was going on with with COVID and yes, they went yeah. to a kind of a, a very much very much less a a physical screening model. We had it last year, but it was still mm. a bit tentative, um, mm. you know. But they did kind of break out into doing this international release model as well. So yeah, you know, which is which is fine. But as we said. Um, you, for certain films, it's not going to mean anything mm. really. It's not. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help an actual kind of proper kind of outside effect release outside of sort of previews. Yeah. And if you that's where that's where people want to go with them. Which yeah, if, if a film has a dist- yeah, if a film has a distributor, then um, I don't think there's any value of screening at London Film Festival. To be honest with you, I mean, even you know, and a lot of these films do. Mm-hmm. A lot of these films are they do, they do. You know, I mean, even not outside of the the Asian films we're talking about, but you know, we've got we've got this situation where there are the films that are, you know, the Netflix. I don't think yeah, don't think we've got yeah. any Shadow films this year as we did last year. But the stuff that's mm-hmm. coming out with movie. Um, yeah. the stuff that's going to be on Amazon Prime mm-hmm. that you know there's, yeah. there's there's all these these things that are, that are going to be at home but, you know, if that's the only place they're coming out you know and it gives people a chance to see them on the big screen you know maybe that's not such a bad thing but also it's not uh, the sort of I think for me it, it's less to do with, with that than it is that that, that would be nice to see things coming from elsewhere I think that's agree my, agree my 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 problem but it is it's it's uh perhaps becoming that sort of low hanging fruit that is okay yeah fine we've got we can put that we've got that we can put them on the screen and there's an argument for putting it on the screen okay fine you know it's on a big screen it's might be released in a couple of cinemas and then you know chucked yeah. on to, to netflix or prime but um, yeah i know I, I can i completely agree it just i think london film festival has always really struggled for an identity uh, in that kind of way. I mean, going back, you know, if we go back about eight years or something, it, it was more close to a Berlin or Rotterdam type of festival. And then it went to a trying its best to, to be a, a commercial red carpet Hollywood type festival without the premieres, but still with some of the stars. And now it's it's neither neither one neither one nor the other. Yeah, I mean, the last couple of years, they definitely, you know, and maybe that came out of the films that were available, but they kind of doubled down on some of the, the, the more obscure films yeah but you know as I said before you know we, you know we said before they're not not necessarily in a in a way that that works in synergy with the big exactly. Exactly. presentations and it, it just yeah. feels like a yeah and, and we, that's where you need to curate time, stuff properly yeah you know and I, I, I've said for years that actually and I think actually I, I think less so this year but in previous years at least like sort of the stuff coming from South Asia, the Indian films, mm. always felt like there there was a bit more consideration around them. But yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, when you know, I mean, the, the the BFI always has these different kind of ways it talks genres. You know, there's always the journey section, which could be anything. You know, um, it's always kind of, oh man, you know, the, yeah. the, the the love, the cult, the dare. Yeah. You know, um, but within those, you've got you know that you've got the programmers who do the horror. You've got this, and I think you know, uh, even there, I think some of the horror has been better in previous years. Definitely. Oh yeah, I, I, it's been much better. The, the the selection this year is not exciting. Uh, I would say as a as a horror fan, mm. it's not exciting to be honest with you. There's just there's just nothing about anything um, in the program which is really ambitious or has an identity or anything to it to me and it, it just seems to be like some assumption that you know people in london are, are just going to go out and pay to watch these films well you know, i mean to be anything. which is which is seems to which be they do kind of to be honest because, yeah uh, I because agree. actually true. if anything these these screens are sold out when we know that cinemas are true. really really true. still struggling and actually even 
press screenings seem to be struggling to get many people to turn up and those yeah. are free um and it's you know and it's sold out at expensive prices as well they're, they're, yeah. a lot of the yeah. prices are stupid i mean uh, we, we for years uh, uh you know I, I i kind of complained about you know you could get decent mm. you know, decent price tickets when they were screening at the bfi but other venues were more expensive yeah so yeah yeah exactly. kind of felt like they kind of bumped them up all of them up mm. to about the same price for kind of did so um yeah so my, my you know as, as kind of full disclosure my, my wife is going to a lot of films and that was very expensive <laughs> <laughs> um so uh yeah i mean it's 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 i it it'll be interesting to see what happens now with the the london film festival but i i because it changed her she, she's still what's her name is trisha yeah yeah which she hasn't been in that position for for, for very long no, 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 not at all. And so we'll, you're right. It'll be interesting to see because it's not it, it's not an awards festival. It's not because nobody cares about it. It comes too late in the can calendar. Um, it, it's not a genre festival as such. It's not like a Rotterdam art experimental festival. So I, I can see why it struggles for an identity. But mm. um, flip flopping between you know sort of easy pickings for bigger films when they're coming out soon anyway. Uh, and as you say, like some obscure choices, which are not programmed enough to really attract the kind of attention they should get. Like it's, mm. it's a shame. Like I mean, especially with the ticket price and stuff. And I haven't actually been to anything for London Film Festival for years. E even like with the press stuff, I, <laughs> I can't really remember going to stuff when I've had a press pass. And the online library, there's never anything in it because distributors don't really want to put stuff into an online library, understandably. Yeah. You know, so it, it, the whole thing is. Um, it's a shame. Be, I, I, I even I mean I hate to say it because I don't like Edinburgh, but Edinburgh Film Festival is much better in terms of its pro just in terms of its programming and it it's it's got a much more sort of free chance to actually pick films which which are not mm. directly tied to distributors or you know it's more akin to like a Rotterdam type thing. Yeah, and Glasgow yeah. and Glasgow is also more interesting. You know. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think they've they've always seen a more considered easily more considered in what they pick and 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 yeah, also yeah. i mean they were both at kind of better times of the year i think in terms of well that's true that is true that is but, true as but well, you right? know maybe that's you know that, that there are there are ways around it and i, I yeah it's not but it shouldn't yeah for london like i guess the thing yeah it's just people will, the whole thing exists for us to see okay maybe we can see the film from Cannes. Maybe we can see the film from venice where in reality you're going to get the program from like toronto and stuff it's just mm. Yeah, there's not much point. It's not much point of it as a film festival in the way we might understand. It. I mean, we know how much work goes into curating stuff for, for our own, you know, our own screenings and everything. And there just doesn't seem to be any of that for London. It's just picking. This is what was at these other festivals. It's very rare to get someone which hasn't screened somewhere already. You know, to a, to an extent, that's unavoidable. They should be still more forward looking or a bit more ambitious. Mm. You know, because. Because you would have, I, I, I don't know. have more of an opportunity to do that than... than, than well, it's not, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's true. Well, I, I mean, knowing the way things work and stuff, or to the you know to the extent we know how things work with the London Film Festival, I, I do think it's difficult for the programmers. So none of this is attack on the programmers hmm. who, who may or may not be... Which you made them very It's definitely not... It's, it's the structure of the festival and the direction mm. of the festival and the ambition of the festival. It's not... I'm sure the programmers themselves... Are probably frustrated and we know some programmers who've left the festival and stuff so it's i know it's not an easy situation and stuff it's just it's a weird festival man mm. and but as you say bottom line is it, the tickets all sell out and they get the people going whether it's the tourists or people who just like going for an event and everything which mm. is still absolutely fair enough and i think part of it is just which is great as well because actually that's better yeah. than it was five years ago when when yeah. it was really really struggling so and things yeah changed. that's true yeah, that's true. Um, It'd just be nice. I, if I think it, it, yeah, a film festival which really mattered, yeah, on, on a yeah. global scale, which nobody anywhere cares about London Film Festival. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if we when we talk to like distributors about anything, I can guarantee nobody is going to say, "Oh, we'll wait to see if London wants to play us." Like you can guarantee that They're, nobody cares about it, and that's a shame. You know, we have all these, you know, iconic festivals around the world, whether it's your Berlin's or you know Venice's, everything like that, and. You know, I honestly think Edinburgh and Glasgow are ranked higher than London in terms of what people actually care about globally, which is a shame. 
<laughs> Sorry, it's turning into a rant, I guess. It's, it's, it, but it's more just that, that frustration, I think. That's why I'm kind of slagging them off a bit, because it would be great if they were, you know, fulfilling more of the role, w w which they really should be. You know, it's a, it's the, the nation, the United Kingdom's like biggest film festival. And it would be great if there was something about it which is making other people around the world like say, okay, it's London Film Festival time, what's screening? Well, it's like, you know, anytime like Venice or any of these other festivals is on, I know everything that's playing at me. Uh, so I'll go through the program. When London comes up, I don't really care. <laughs> you know, that's 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 a shame. Like, sad. You know, it is sad. Um, and you will, it doesn't, uh, yeah, and as you say, like, there's still, it doesn't diminish the fact that there are still good films playing, but it's, mm. the, it, it's just that it should be something, it should be, you know, more ambitious. It should have an identity. It should be like people are, People from around the world are intrigued to know what's at London this year, waiting for the announcement. I mean, when was the last time you were actually excited to hear to the announcement? This is the opening film. Oh, it's another film, which is by Netflix or something. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's a shame. It's a shame. That's all. It's a shame. It's a shame. Um, we know that you know, it's not easy getting funding for stuff in the UK. It is a difficult situation, but still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, not many Asian films. Slim pickings. So I guess we should remind our uh, listeners that uh, the festival is taking place from the 5th to the 16th of October. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully uh, this podcast will be going out uh, as the festival starts, but um, <laughs> the podcast doesn't always play play ball with that. Um, how much of the ranch you want to edit out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can always go to the BFI website to see all the listings mm. and what is available um, on, on yeah. from them. So that's it for now. Don't forget you can find all of our previous episodes on Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now and you'll never miss an episode. <laughs> but for now, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>